Welcome back to the weekly solo episodes, which are recorded live every Monday on Beyond Measure, which is the private community that is so near and dear to my heart. And it's been really special the last four weeks because I've had people showing up live to these recordings, contributing topic ideas, helping clarify what those mean, really contributing in some fantastic ways. If you have yet to join the Beyond Measure community and you want to be there live or just be part of the community beyond the live feature, the link is in the description for you. It is free to join for live podcast listening. Most of Beyond Measure is actually free. The only paid element of it right now is the group coaching, which I offer every Wednesday currently for a small group of people who want accountability and support with their emotional well-being. But if that's not for you, you are welcome to come and chat and contribute and learn and just hold space from one another as the wonderful members of Beyond Measure have been doing for almost three years now. It's, it's pretty humbling and amazing. And I look forward to our official three-year anniversary, which is coming up, I think, in June 2023. So today's topic came from one of the most dedicated members of Beyond Measure named April. And she was interested in learning more or hearing more. It's not necessarily about learning, as I we'll get into as we address this topic today. I think it's just a discussion exploration about the subject matter. And as April put it, it's about calming, dealing with, and or accepting the monkey mind. And Nadine, another member in here, would like to start with a definition of monkey mind. I'm going to start with April's definition, then I'll share my own, and then I'll share the definition that I saw a couple times when I looked it up online. So April defined it as a mind that constantly chatters in the background and often foreground, won't stop, often jumping from one topic to another really quickly. That's pretty in alignment with what I would say too. I, I think the monkey part of this phrase is there because it's almost as if there are a bunch of monkeys in your head that are swinging from tree to tree or you know have you ever seen monkeys in person um i have sadly in the past when i would go to zoos which is something i try to avoid now for ethical reasons but i've actually witnessed them out in the wild before most recently in costa rica i went to costa rica in 2022 and <laughs> it was just truly wild um, in, in multiple senses. The I think the first monkey I saw on that trip was while I was riding an ATV through the jungle. And it was way up in this tree, just staring, like looking out over me and the other people driving by. And I, I'm pretty sure it was quiet, but the really uh, more intense monkey experience I had was that they were in the trees surrounding the place I was staying, which is at a small retreat center, and you could hear them all the time. You never really knew where they were. They're so loud. And it was a little uncomfortable at times. It, there, <laughs> there were moments of just like that unsettling feeling like you can hear something, but you can't see it. And I felt safe because the local residents did not seem concerned about it at all. 
But then I saw them. I think it might have been my last day at the retreat center. I finally saw them right outside the door of where I was staying. It was like a small complex and it was just incredible. They were in some trees. And then at times they were walking along the power lines, or maybe it was like the phone lines, um, just with so much grace and seeing how they used their tail to one of them. I remember like, as it was walking across this power line, it had its tail wrapped around the bottom of it for stability. And, and it just moved with grace on this tiny area, you know, like its feet, just the way it did it, it was just so confident. And then when they were up in the trees as a group, they were so loud and swinging around. I mean, it was just fascinating. So if you could visualize monkeys, if you've ever seen them in person before, or just your experience of them online, perhaps from videos or stories you've heard from people like myself, maybe that'll help with a definition. And to have that experience with monkeys, I can actually view it from different perspectives. For me, the monkey mind has felt like something maybe negative. Like I, I, I have a idea of it being something to avoid. And I'm curious, April, since you suggested this topic, if you feel that way or anyone else who's, who's watching live right now, does it seem like something you want to fix? And I think a lot of self-help does take the position of fixing things. And that's something I'm working on not doing. I'm aiming to take more of a neutral stance. And this real life experience with the monkeys helps me do that because I didn't see what they were doing as something that they should fix, that I should be avoidant of. Yes, I felt a little uncertainty and fear because it was unfamiliar to me, their behavior. But once I was able to watch it and realize they're just doing their thing and that has nothing to do with me, maybe I could apply that to the monkey mind. And instead of thinking, oh my gosh, it's so loud or it's chaotic. What if I could look at it just like I did in Costa Rica as, wow, it's so majestic and it's actually done with grace. It's something to aspire to. Like, can you be loud, but for a purpose? Can you be swinging around? And instead of seeing that as like out of balance, see that as balance, just like that amazing monkey demonstrated its balance and with this technique that I don't currently know how to do. And that maybe I could never do because I don't have a tail like a monkey. Right. So I have a very loose and almost literal definition of monkey mind. I wanted to share a few other definitions. One came from Wikipedia, which uh, credits the monkey mind to a Buddhist term, meaning unsettled, restless, whimsical, fanciful, inconstant, confused, indecisive, and uncontrollable. And you could see how someone like me would see or maybe you can't see this. I'm, I don't mean to imply that we all see things the same way, but I can see in this moment why I have had some negative connotations with those wor words. Unsettled, I don't associate with something neutral or positive. I think, ooh, I want to be settled. I don't want to be restless. I don't want to feel confused or indecisive or certainly not uncontrollable. 
And now the phase that I'm at with my life right now, I can actually look at those words a little bit differently and shift my perspective, which is how many of these words have been, have their meanings been projected onto us, perhaps. I have great respect for Buddha. It's something that I'm very curious about. I have parts of me that really aspire to it. I associate Buddha as being neutral, actually. I And so it's kind of interesting, right? Like, is Buddhist teaching trying to get us away from this? But I feel a little bit of resistance there, which is what if we can just accept it instead of trying to get away from it? So I'll pose that question to the live listeners and see if you have any further input, other definitions, feelings that are coming up from this. And I think that's a really good place to start with something like this. If you're wondering if you want to, do you want to try to calm that monkey mind or deal with it? What does it even look like to deal with it? But then that acceptance side of it, I think, plays a key role. And I'm so grateful that April added that in. Because dealing with something might be different than accepting it. Accepting it might mean that you don't change anything. Accepting it might mean that you take that neutral standpoint and you say, sure, by cultural definition, I am unsettled right now. Maybe people will perceive me as confused, but do I perceive that within myself? I, I want to share some things that I read briefly on a Psychology Today article, which I'll link to for those that want to read this. Before I get into it, I want to acknowledge Nadine's comment who said, it would seem annoying, especially if you are trying to focus. Yeah, I mean, looking at annoyance is interesting because each of us have different tolerance for annoyance. April said, overall, I'd like to calm it down and be better able to handle it so that I can then also utilize it for any strengths. Though in all honesty, when it's really intense, there are times where I would like it to stop for a while. Yeah. I'm curious if you, anyone else identifies with those statements, those feelings. And just taking that pause to reflect on it, how much of your reaction to the monkey mind, whether or not you experience it. it. It could be something that goes on for you regularly, or it could be something that other people around you are either expressing or exhibiting, right? Like some people might say, I feel confused right now. I feel unsettled. I feel unfocused, whatever that might be. And it's being labeled. Or you can notice it too, sometimes, Maybe somebody seems all over the place and maybe that is their, the way that they're talking, they're jumping from things again, like the monkey, that's part of my definition, like the monkey jumping from branch to branch and all over the place. And as a human being looking up in the trees and, and again, that's unsettled feeling that I had, which was where are they going to go next? And yet, even as I say that, I think, do they, do I need to know where they go next? Why is that important to know? And that question came up a lot as I was pondering this topic. 
So before I get into the Psychology Today article, which is about calming the monkey mind and written by a woman with a PhD, so we might find some more clinical perspective to it, I would like to share some things that came up in books that I have been reading lately, and I'll link to each of them for those of you who want to check them out, maybe read them yourself. One of them has been really impactful for me, and it's written by this man named Oliver Berkman, and the book is, I want to make sure I get the title right, so I got to pull it up, 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals, and this book has really surprised me. It's, it's, it brings up so many interesting points, and one of them that seemed related to this is about time. Oliver said, this is the maddening truth about time, which most advice on managing it seems to miss. It's like a toddler. The more you struggle to control it, to make it conform to your agenda, the further it slips from your control. And I thought about that with the monkey mind and the toddler reference feels like it applies to this because toddlers can kind of seem like <laughs> a wild animal running around hard to control, you know, but what happens if you try to control something like that? It's very common for an animal, a young person, or, or maybe even ourselves to feel resistant to being controlled. So what if by trying to control something like the monkey mind, it actually has the opposite effect on you? And I'm curious if any of you listening live have had that experience. Like what if you can allow it, which to me is something that you might get as a recommendation from Buddhist teaching. Some meditation practices, for example, are based on not trying to control your mind, quiet your mind or, or cease the thought. It's you're just observing it. So what if you can start by observing your experience of the monkey mind or somebody else's experience of the monkey mind? And especially if it's with somebody else, I would encourage releasing as much judgment as possible. That's what I would want. I have enough, enough judgment of myself already as it is. And so much of that feels like it came from other people's judgments of me. And I'm not saying that to blame. I think many of us are reacting to what other people have imposed upon us. And so maybe with the monkey mind, there's an opportunity there is what have other people said about that type of behavior? What have we learned about that? And does is that really an alignment with us? My therapist would use the term wise mind. And it's getting away from the external and more to the internal, your inner sense of knowing. And through a lot of the reading I've been doing lately, it seems like an important step to take, especially when we're judging ourselves. Is, is that judgment of ourselves coming from that wise mind place, that deep, secure, inner knowing versus internalizing the external. Were we told as children that we were too wild? Did we go somewhere and see monkeys 
and hear overhear somebody talk about how wild those monkeys were or how unsettled or scary or whatever else. And did we start to internalize it? So to me, that's an important step of reflecting on where these judgments come from and also understanding that a lot of times when we try to force a change on ourselves or others, it has the opposite effect. The next person and book I'd like to reference is Casey Davis. I've, I've brought up her work before. I really appreciate the way that she writes. She's neurodivergent and has really bust a lot of the um, societal constructs that we have. Her book, How to Keep House While Drowning, A Gentle Approach to Cleaning and Organizing is one of my favorites. And I went back through my notes today because I figured she might have some good things on the subject matter. And she, while she didn't seem to address it directly, she did bring up some different points. One is that the encouragement to take a functional rather than a moral view, which ties into what I've been saying is, are you trying to change the monkey mind because it helps you function? Are you trying to change it in some part because there's a moral judgment on it? And shifting away from feeling like if you have a monkey mind, it's a personal failure. Can you have some more compassion, some self-compassion? Can you observe yourself with compassion? And a few things that Casey said, Morality concerns itself with the goodness or badness of your character and the rightness or wrongness of decisions. So is their judgment good or bad when it comes to the monkey mind? Is that, is that a reaction that comes up? And are you seeing the monkey mind as right or wrong? That's morality. Casey also said, when barriers to function when barriers to functioning make completing care tasks difficult, a person can experience an immense amount of shame. How can I be failing at something so simple, they think to themselves. The critical internal dialogue quickly forms a vicious cycle, paralyzing the person even further. So if this is part of the experience too, if there's a shame involved here, like why do I have the monkey mind? Why can't I get over it? it can turn into that cycle, almost like that toddler too. It's like the resistance forms, the shame is there. You feel further paralyzed and much further away from the calm that you may be seeking, the change that you may be seeking. And I mean, I experience a lot with shame and that's part of how I would view something like that. Like, why am I like this would be a question that would come up for me. And that doesn't really help me functioning any better. It also brings me back to the meditation practice, which is one of the ultimate avenues for calming our minds and maybe something worth trying for those that are trying to soothe this. Meditation can be a great practice to learn and literally learning it, having a guided meditation. I imagine there's meditation specifically for the monkey mind. So that's a tool you can try. And as I mentioned in some of my meditation practices, the shame or the judgment can actually keep you farther away from entering that calm state. 
So acknowledging yourself without shame, trying to get to that place of neutrality and just letting yourself be, you may find that you can slip into the calmness and, and experience less of that monkey mind as a result of it. Casey also said, success depends not on having a strong willpower, but in developing mental and emotional tools to help you experience the world differently. And I think that was important too, because I think some people associate the monkey mind with willpower. And maybe that's where the shame and judgment comes from. Like, why don't I have the willpower to stop this? I am being weak right now. I am doing something I don't like. I'm seeing it through that moral lens. It's not the right thing to do. So developing your own specific personalized mental and emotional tools is going to be a very personal relative experience for you. And Casey actually says that this comes down to your strengths, personality, and interests. So that's another great tool or something to think about right now is what are your strengths? Can you turn to any of those during your experience of the monkey mind? What is your personality? Is the monkey mind part of your personality? And if so, do you want to change that? Can you change it? And the interests are interesting. Is your brain just kind of going to a place of, this is interesting to me. Maybe it's even a dopamine experience. Does it feel good to have the monkey mind? I wonder about that too. If, if you're neurodivergent, it could be a form of stimming. It might feel good to have all these different thoughts firing. It might be just the way your brain works as someone who's neurodivergent too. And again, that's where the solutions are very relative because you need to know who you are, not who other people are and what they recommend. So I'll pause there for a moment to see if there's any other perspective that someone listening live would like to bring into this. And then I'm going to switch over to the Psychology Today article and see what we can discover there together. So this article was written by a woman named Diana with a last name, I don't know how to pronounce, Rab, Rob, maybe, R-A-A-B. And I will link to that. It was written in 2017. The article starts off with the definition of the monkey mind, very similar to what I was sharing, and a piece from a, a writer who teaches writing workshops and suggests that the monkey mind is the inner critic. That's kind of interesting. It's the part of the brain most connected to the ego which contends that you can't do anything right. Ooh, see, the morality is coming in here. It's also the part of you that stifles creativity and prevents you from moving forward with your passions. The monkey mind insists on being heard, and sometimes it takes a lot of self-control to shut it down. It's also part of, the, of your brain that becomes easily distracted. So if you want to get anything done in your life, your challenge will be to shut down the monkey mind. Now, there's some language here that I'm not fully in agreement with. I'm reading this verbatim from psychology today. Personally, I think stifles and prevents self-control, shut down, like some of those 
we need to really take with a grain of salt because it does really depend on where each of us are at. And some articles are not going to meet you where you're at. And that's why I think it's incredibly important to spend time doing some inner work before you look for any external solutions, including my own, is really going back to those recommendations from Casey Davis, the solutions being relative to you, the tools being relative to who you are, where you're at in life, and not necessarily coming up from a place of needing to change anything, which some of the phrasing here feels like there's the morality or there's a need to change. But if you really want to change and you feel like you've done the work to get to that place, to consider it at least without judgment, here are some things rec that they recommend in this article. The first step is to become grounded and calm the mind, becoming present. This is the state of mindfulness. This is the awareness and interconnectedness between your outer and inner world which I really like that. That's a great tip is finding the balance. Perhaps this is my own spin on it. The outer and inner world. I think focusing a lot on the inner so that you're really centered on yourself and then finding that balance with the outer world. So you're taking in some input, but maybe leaving behind the judgment, the criticism that's not serving you. And there's some recommendations in the article. Again, I'm not going to read this word for word, but the next tip is trying to sit for a minute and think about what calms you. So maybe we can practice this right now in real time. You might want to journal about this. You might want to close your eyes and do some breathing. Maybe that in itself calms you. That's a tool that we have almost at every moment in our life. You might not always be able to close your eyes, but you can change your breathing. Breath work is incredibly powerful. So maybe in the process of breathing, you realize, oh, this calms me. But I would love for you in this moment, if you're in the place where you can do it, whether you're closing your eyes or you're writing, journaling, just get into that breath state. What else calms you? For those that are listening or watching live, perhaps you can type in the chat. We can do a little group share moment. What calms you? Hmm, I'll share some of my own. But first, I want to give you the opportunity to reflect on this. Breathing certainly calms me. But I forget about it, to be honest. <laughs> Every time I, pra I practice deep breathing, I think, oh, I forgot that I could do that. It brings me a lot of joy, too. And it's really powerful. My more knee-jerk types of calming that work for me are music and aromatherapy. Fiddling also calms me, I think, although I'm still trying to figure that out for myself since 
I'm relatively new on my journey with neurodivergence, I enjoy fiddling with something. In fact, I usually have something in my hands, even when I'm recording an episode like this. So here's an example. If you, if you are watching on beyond measure, you get the visual examples. This, oh gosh, I forgot the name of this tool, but I, I will put it in the um, resource section. It's one of my favorite fiddle tool, uh, toys, I guess, although toy doesn't feel like the best term. Tools might be a better one. I have three of these in different places of my home. I keep one by my desk usually, one by the bedside, and one by the main television, mostly because I like to fiddle. It's very like calming for me when I'm watching television sometimes when I'm reading and oftentimes when I'm in a meeting or even podcast recording. Sometimes it can be a little loud. Depends how close it is to the mic. You hear it. So I have a few different options. But like I said, I'm still trying to figure out, is that really calming? So I'll list out a few more and encourage more shares from the group. I have a few that I'll read off in a moment. Aromatherapy is huge for me and I have it all over the place. So by my desk or one of, I kind of have two desk setups, one by a window and one with this background that I use for the podcast now. And by my podcast setup, I have a spray, which is this white sage spray and I'll spritz it over me sometimes before a meeting. It's very subtle. Oh, that smells so good. And then I have currently this roller oil. And I often have a lot of these. I get most of them through the Goddess Provisions box. And I will roll it on my wrists. Sometimes I put it under my nose, on my necks. Depends on what the oil is. I also will light candles sometimes, incense. But those are not as accessible or necessarily safe <laughs> in this setting when I'm recording. And those smells are very grounding for me. And they inspire, encourage the deep breathing. So right now, I can breathe in the smell and then my whole breathing state changes. And then the music I mentioned, for any of you who have done group coaching with me, you're very familiar with this because I play soothing, calming music during the group coaching sessions. And there's actually a playlist that I use from Apple Music. Apple Music, if you subscribe to them, and Spotify does as well. I just don't currently use Spotify. So I don't know what it's called there, but on Apple Music, it's it's called like well-being. And they have all these playlists designed for well-being. It, it brought me so much joy. You can also go to YouTube. You can listen to binaural beats. You can listen to all different types of frequency music. And there's so much online for free. And listening to some of that really helps. So that works for me. I also have some examples of what works for other people in the chat on Beyond Measure. So April said, music, dance, video games, and also aromatherapy. And she uses the fidget objects. There are so many, by the way, 
if you're interested in in fidgeting tools, April actually, I think once mentioned to me a, a website that you can go to that has a plethora of options, but Amazon's great too. I recently bought these acupressure rings on Amazon. It was about $5 and I don't have one with me right now, but I have them sprinkled around the home. I usually bring them with me when I go out of the home because the first fidget I showed you is kind of big. I don't want to lose it. And it's kind of loud. Like I said, sometimes I wear a bracelet that is kind of fidgety. This is just a random uh, bracelet on a stretchy string so I'll put this on my wrist or I'll bring the aromatherapy or not aromatherapy, the <laughs> acupressure rings and they're very subtle. So very few people even notice it. So you can think about what calms you at home as well as what calms you outside the home because you might need that support then. And then Peter said that fiction calms him, specifically a good book or movie will close off the rest of the world. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I am on an in like a new habit for myself which has brought me so much joy i read fiction every night before bed and it's a big shift for me because i'm historically a non-fiction reader almost exclusively but through some advice i read in a non-fiction book stolen focus there was some great perspective on why to read fiction before bed and just like you, Peter, it does have a really calming effect for me. And it's a wonderful way to end the day. But you can go to fiction at any point, any point during the day. Some people like it in the morning. Some people like it, you know, as a break in between work during lunch, for example. Maybe in the bath, it can be so great. And, and water in general is another amazing calming tool. So now that a few of you along with me publicly, but maybe even privately, have had an opportunity to think about what calms you, you can remember that either just through your memory or write it down. If you find yourself dealing with the monkey mind on a regular basis, sometimes having a list of things to turn to can be incredibly powerful. I often recommend post-it notes for this reason having something that you can apply to your desk, to any room that you might frequently be in, maybe in your, in your car. It's just a go-to for you. If you find the monkey minds out of control, you can turn to that calming present. You can even use it as a reminder to be more mindful, to be more present, to stop and take a deep breath. Whatever feels like it's going to be supportive of you, sometimes the written reminders can be extremely powerful. So let's go back to the Psychology Today website. One other recommendation is actually something I do too, which is a walking meditation. I personally do not like a more traditional meditation practice. I Maybe it is my monkey mind. I really struggle with sitting down you know, I perceive meditation as like you sit on a meditation pillow and you're in a corner and I have friends that like created little altars for themselves. I, I personally used to go to in-person meditation classes all the time. So it felt like this specific practice 
but I found resistance to that. And personally, when I resist something, that's a cue to not do it <laughs> unless I really have to, unless the stakes are high. If, if I can give myself the flexibility to not do something I'm resistant to, I find more inner peace. So instead, a walking meditation makes more sense for me. I really enjoy walking. It's very calming for me. I like the exercise. It feels accessible to me most times of the year, most places that I'm in. And that comes up in this article too. Writing can be a really great practice too. And maybe an outlet for the monkey mind. What if you sat down and wrote out all of the thoughts that are coming up? What if you wrote down names for the monkeys? What if you did a visualization practice and imagined, just like I was describing the monkeys in Costa Rica, and you sat and thought, okay, how am I defining my monkey mind right now? How many monkeys are there? <laughs> Can I name them? Like this monkey is Fred. I don't know why that name came up first. Or is this monkey a certain thought? You know, like really, it, that could slow you down. Because I think sometimes the monkey mind feels so chaotic, you don't even know what's going on. But perhaps through writing, journaling, or just a visualization of what exactly you're thinking about, and then maybe you turn each of those thoughts into a monkey and they either disappear or they stick around. Maybe you can determine how, mon how many monkeys are there. What do they need? What are they asking for? Why are they there in your mind? And are they something that's a reoccurring theme? Do the same monkeys keep coming back to your tree? Or is it a new monkey every day or every five minutes? Like just doing that visualization can just give you some clarity and in itself help you lean into a place of acceptance or neutrality with it. That's my two cents here. And going back to the Psychology Today article, there's a lot of tips in here about writing and creativity also. The article points out that Sometimes the voice in our head can get in the way of what our heart wants to say. Sometimes this voice turns dark and can lead to feelings of fear, guilt, anger, sadness, envy, and resentment instead of a sense of lightness of being. This voice may seem like a nagging parent or spouse. That's interesting too, given what Oliver wrote about in his book. This article is kind of bringing it back. Are you being a nagging parent to your inner toddler is a question you can ask yourself that kind of merges together some different perspectives that I've shared. Hmm. Can you be a more supportive parent to yourself, your inner self, your childlike self? The article goes on to say that the ego has the ability to create false thoughts, which is the inner chatter we hear most often. In fact, it is the voice in our heads that we sometimes tell to shut up. Otherwise, we can become overwhelmed by these thoughts or even lose touch with reality. This is one reason why doing meditation, it's a good idea to let thoughts come and go rather than becoming obsessed or focusing on anyone in particular. If we focus too intensely on our thoughts, there's a greater chance that we'll lose touch with the here and now. Hmm. 
Lots to contemplate here. The article ends with some writing prompts that you can try. So if writing feels like a good calming practice to you, perhaps you can try this. So writing prompt number one, practice focusing on the here and now. Take a few slow, deep breaths and focus on your belly. What are you seeing, sensing, hearing, or intuiting at the moment? Ask your body what you're feeling. Do you feel discomfort anywhere? Does an image pop into your mind? This is body intelligence. Ooh. So maybe you write down those questions on that post-it note, like I mentioned. Maybe you journal about it and then do those deep, breathe, deep breaths. You can breathe, of course, while you're writing. Maybe you want to write and then close your eyes and think about the question and then write some more after. Maybe you want these questions around as tools for you. Whenever you're experiencing the monkey mind, you can turn to them and just ask these questions. The second writing prompt, describe the person your mind thinks you are. What do you look like? What do you believe? What is your connection with the universe or your loved ones? Having someone else write about you, does this person perceive you in the same way you perceive yourself? Ooh, that's also very powerful. One thing we actually did when I was in Costa Rica on that retreat, at the very end of the retreat, we sat in a circle. There was, I think, 14 of us maybe. And we each shared positive things that we felt about the other people. Mostly we were strangers. We didn't know each other before the retreat started. And it took, I think, a few hours to go around the circle to share and just to kind of hear what other people were perceiving about us. And it was magical. So you could either do that practice with someone you know and trust in your life, if that feels comfortable and supportive, or you can write about yourself to get in tune with yourself. And you might be surprised at what's coming out that your brain might not normally get to go to until you do an exercise like this. So you have a variety of tools for you now. And I'm curious, April, since you suggested this topic, how you feel now. Which of these tools speaks to you? Which of these tools feels like something you could implement regularly too? Or is there something else that you need? Is there a solution that you personally need that's completely different from what I or the writers or this article have suggested today? That's going to be for you to determine for each of you outside of April too. <laughs> this goes beyond April's question and impacts many of us. And like I said earlier, this doesn't just have to be about you. This can be about other people that you might witness in the monkey mind state. And now you have some tools that you could explore with them. And it really is an exploration. And if you can do that exploration from that neutral place, you can discover so much. You can get into that place of curiosity. I mean, I think about monkeys as being curious too. <laughs> you know? Curious George is probably why. Remember that book? Curious George, that cute little monkey and, and the man with a yellow hat, I think. I haven't thought about that story in a long time. 
I imagine a lot of people think of monkeys as curious. So there could just be a perspective shift in how you think about the monkey mind. Is it literally monkeys? And if so, what can you learn from them? How can you see it a little bit differently? Sometimes that exploration might be all you need because it's taking you away from what did the psychology today article say about the voice in our head that can turn dark. If you can shift out of shame and darkness, that in itself is a huge achievement. So I'll wrap up that episode there. And I'd be happy to share in the description of this episode for the podcast listeners, as well as in the event comments on Beyond Measure, each event in the platform, each podcast episode shows up in the event section of Beyond Measure. And if you go to the the past events, that's where I will put the little archive of, of all the resources. And I'll include the Psychology Today article. I'll include the books I referenced and maybe even a link to the acupressure <laughs> fidget rings I mentioned or whatever else. I'm always happy to share other things. So if you're interested, you can direct message me on Beyond Measure. I actually recently posted on social media. Now that's that's really my preference these days. That's why I brought the podcast to Beyond Measure is I love that community so much. I love the platform it's on. I'm not spending much time on social media anymore. So it's not a great communication tool. And frankly, email tends to overwhelm me. But Beyond Measure brings me light and joy and a sense of calmness and connection to people like you. So that's where I would love to chat with you. So if you would like to join Beyond Measure for free and you haven't yet, I'll put the link in the description and just keep experimenting alongside you. Thank you so much, April, for suggesting this wonderful topic. Thank to, thanks to Nadine and Peter for contributing your thoughts today, for holding space, for exploring this. I would love to hear any anything that comes up for, for you after this episode, any further input in the future. Send it over to me or bring it to the next episode, which will be one week from today, same time, probably same place. I shared with the Beyond Measure members that I'm experimenting with some different tools 